Hello and welcome to the Animation Club podcast. This is a Q&A featuring Samantha Moore. Please note that these Q&As were recorded across 2020 and 2021 during the COVID-19 pandemic. We hope you enjoy listening to this podcast. Goodbye for now. Hello, Animation Club. Uh, welcome to another um, live Q&A. Today we have Samantha, uh, Samantha Moore. Sorry, do you prefer Sam or Samantha? Either is fine. Both of them I can answer to. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, so uh, it's just myself and Sam, uh, Samantha here today. So um, if you, I'll let you introduce yourself a bit further um, and then we'll ask questions. If anyone else tunes in, feel free to put your questions in the comments and we'll get to them when we can. Uh, but yeah, um, after you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yes, so um, I'm Sam Moore. I'm an animator. Um, I originally trained as uh, my first degree is in fine art and paint and um, English. So I did. I studied English literature and I was a painter, like a fine artist painter. Um, but I became obsessed with animation and found that was my ideal environment to kind of like draw pictures and tell stories, which are the only things that I was really interested in. wasn't very good at anything else at school particularly. And so I went and after my degree, I was really lucky. I got some funding to make a film and um, I did a postgrad uh, at Central St. Martins in London. And then I sort of became interested in animated documentary, which is where I've sort of ended up. And I've also ended up, I mean, I make it, it's not like, it's just my interests have taken me in a particular direction. And so I became very interested in science. And so my films often are around science documentary and animation. And I think there's something, you know, I think animation is such a wide ranging form and it does so many amazing things that we love you know but and the fantastical is something which I really adore and really enjoy working with but I also enjoy the real you know (laughs) the world out there as well as the world in here and so that's why I kind of became interested in in science and animation so yeah well um if it's okay what I'll do is I'll quickly show the trailer for Mm -hmm. an, an eyeful of sound so that people get um, get an idea of well, I mean, your style changes quite uh, dependent on the topic, um, yeah. which I find yeah. is quite amazing. But this will give some uh, give people an idea if I remember how to do it. Uh, <laughs> chess screen, mm-hmm. there we go. Uh, it's not quite bad. It's pretty good. Well, I'd like to get a little bit of. Yeah, I, I, I absolutely love that one. Um, an eyeful of sound. So the full thing is is it available to see. On it's all on online, Vimeo, the yeah. Full thing. yeah. Um, on Vimeo, okay, yeah, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. I, I, I have seen the full thing on Vimeo as well, but I didn't know if I had to if it was if you'd sent it to me or not, <laughs> but, yeah, yeah, so it's, and, it's fantastic. And and you can see it, you can see yeah. where, like, your as you say, your fine art skills come in there as well, which is uh, amazing. I love the uh, would you like to say a little bit about? Um, an eye full of colour. Uh, yeah, sure. So an eye full of sound was like, um, it was, I became interested in audiovisual synesthesia, which is what the film is about, which is when it's people who, when one sense is stimulated, like sight or touch or smell, um, two senses re- react. So you might have, you might see something with your eyes, but you see it, but you also hear it or you smell it or you taste it. 
and any of the senses can be linked in that way. So synesthesia is really wide and broad, but I was interested in audiovisual synesthetes, which is people who, when they hear a sound, they hear it normally um, in a kind of neurotypical way, but then they also see it. And um, it just struck me as like, like having an animated film in your head all the time was really interesting. Um, so I sort of did some research into it and found out all these interesting facts and then started working with a scientist um, at UCL and kind of got, got into it. And it was a really long developed project. I think the whole project took about five years in the end. And we ended up getting a couple of grants from the Wellcome Trust and we ended up making that film, um, which I'm really proud of because it kind of, I don't know, I suppose like it, you can do something with animation that you can't do with live action in that scenario. So I've seen a lot of documentaries about audiovisual synesthesia and they were normally like this, talking heads, you know, going blah, 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 blah. And, um, which is fine, but it doesn't really tell you anything other than this is what that head looks like. It doesn't tell you what's inside the head. And with animation, you can kind of, you can, you can make something visual and audible that, um, more kind of covers better their actual experience their lived experience of what it is to be neurodivergent in that way and not in a bad way you know as we you know I think things have changed a lot since I made that film and made that in 2010 and I think things have changed a lot culturally since then about our perception of brains and the way they work and the way different people see things and there are lots of films now made about the ways in which people see the world differently. And I think a lot of those films are animated and I'm really proud of animation for the way it kind of has stepped up to that challenge of, you know, representing the world in lots of different ways. I think it's really cool. But I have to say, if I was going to make Eiffel of Sound now, I'd probably make it VR <laughs> or AR. You know, I'd kind of like, I feel like that would better because you're stuck in a frame, you know. Um, yeah. when you're making something flat and a lot of the people I was interviewing said they felt the sounds going around them you know they felt them going around their yeah. body and they see them going outside of their body and so the idea of doing something with VR you know I would 100% do it like that now but you know times change oh well that sounds brilliant that sounds brilliant the VR idea is really cool mm. it, it's it is as you say the animation has been a good way of representing how people uh, so, so seen like you say you can't you can describe something as best you can but then to see mm -hmm. it is is much better i remember seeing a lecture that you did about it and um mentioning that that uh, um you haven't just listened to them and animated according to what they've said you there, there were people there with paints and color charts and things is that yeah so we we kind of yeah so that was really that was one of the interesting things about working with a scientist so working with Jamie um who's Jamie Ward who's like a, a neuropsychologist because he works in as sort of like as a scientist he had a different way of collecting data which to me as an artist seemed really interesting I was really like watching because we worked in research and development on this project for about two years and I was kind of watching the way he collected information thinking I could do this with a film like I could do what he's doing but I could collect it in that way which is a kind of so what I did was I tri triangulated the data which meant I get I got information from three different sources so one of the sources was just interviewing them with headphones on like saying playing them the sounds and then saying what do you what do you see and they told me and I recorded it. But I also, yeah, like you said, we had a colour chart. We've got a book called A Munsell Colour Chart, which was, it's a book used a lot by geologists. It's a scientific document and it's every colour that is visible to the human eye. And so I used that 
book to say, could you find the colour that you see, you know, that that C sharp that you see and you describe it in this way. Can you find the exact colour to that in this book? And then the third way was I got them to draw it or paint it or, um, you know, mark make in some way. Um, and so I had I had to have loads of different materials available because some of them were like, this is metallic or this only works if it's mm. wet. So I had to like photograph it while it was still wet. I couldn't, you know, if it dried, it was wrong. It was just like, it was really interesting. And the colour chart had every, yeah. apparently had every colour known to humanity, but it still didn't have all the colours from a synesthete. So loads of them were going through going, wow. my colour's not in here. Why is my colour not in this book? And so That's I had amazing. to, I was like, hey, I've got nothing for you. Like I've only got, I've only got the colours available. I'm so sorry. <laughs> That's crazy, and and they say as well there are some colours that we might not be able to see, and that's interesting that they they're probably able to see them and hard to. Well, describe. I don't think they can. I don't think they can see them because the human eye can well, only perceive a certain yeah. range of colours. But but at the same time, it's not you know we talk about the human eye perceiving colours. So I think there's a, a version. There's some sort of sea creature that can see loads more colours. It can see loads of the ultraviolet yeah. spectrum as well. Yeah. But Actually, when we say the eye can perceive, what do we really mean? Because the eye is only interpreted by the brain and the synesthetic people aren't really seeing the colour, they're kind of hearing it. So maybe there are colours in their heads that really only exist in their heads and can never be seen by another human being. Oh, it's just that's why I love science, because I just yeah. think the, yeah. the kind of link between the two, the places where art and science mix are just like really interesting. Watching quite a lot of science things. <laughs> in any gaps I've got they just popped up as, as it showed then when I shared the screen there's a lot of science yeah. things popping up at the moment so I'm, I'm also very and animation is a really good way of, of um, yeah. and the style that you do it as well is also so obviously your style changes depend on the topic as, mm. as with that and uh, and things like bloomers yeah. which you animated onto fabric and mm. um, so bloomers for anyone that hasn't seen I, I shared the link um, is about it's a, a underwear factory in Manchester. Manchester yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm going off. Of, yeah, sorry, I'm going off. Of, my brain's fried today. But um, and <laughs> obviously, and you've animated onto fabric, which were then uh, and again, if I remember from the lecture, they've been turned into pants that are uh, yeah. being sold yeah, as well. Yeah, so yeah. you've got frames on on pants. <laughs> but then and then also the way that the interviews are done as well, a very mixed with general conversation if that sounds yeah. about right so with the sinister uh, with the eyeful of color you can watch it and there you can hear the people talking about it but just the conversation and then in between that is the facts and the same i found with the with bloomers is there's a lot of nice conversation going on and in between that you get the, the story is that are you interviewing for these or is it someone else that's the interviewing and you get the yeah, no, I do, I do all the interviewing myself. And it's a really important part of the process because it's not just the soundtrack, it's like an integral part of the film and how it's put together. So even though it sounds like this conversations, actually all those people in both those films were all interviewed separately. And then it was the sound design mm -hmm. that we put them together and had them kind of talking or answering questions or kind of like a putting a rhythm of conversation in, you know, like this conversation, which has a weird rhythm because there's a slight delay. And so we're slightly talking over each other and then we're like, oh no, oh no. You know, but it's like every conversation have its, has its own rhythm. And, um, mm. and so I tried to kind of include that because I love that about like, I don't want to watch it. Like if I'm going to make an animated documentary, I 
like a, a voice of God narration is less interesting to me. You know, like David Attenborough style. Like obviously, David Attenborough is a god. You know, he is amazing and he's you know wonderful. But it's that kind of thing of like, here is the information. I'm going to tell you everything you need to know. This is the truth, and I think that's fine. But that's not really the kind of film I want to be making. I want to be making the film like, is this the truth? I don't know. What do you think? Like, can we kind of? Is there a different way of looking at this? That I think animated documentary leaves more gaps for people to kind of like make their own minds up or to think oh well that's not exactly how it is or I don't know it feels like a more conversational medium to me so I really want to include a conversational tone to it so like I love sound I'm not a musician or anything but I always work very closely with a composer with a sound designer it's something I feel really strongly about and if I can I will make the soundtrack before the film before the visuals so I will make the sound first because for me it's kind of like especially with documentary is the structure to the sound that comes with putting laying down all those tracks and you can kind of allow the sound to breathe and to there's a natural rhythm and an ebb and flow and then you can kind of put the visuals in so then it's like a conversation between the sound and the image and they're talking to each other and they're kind of reacting off each other because I mean I'm sure you know this but like when you make a film you want to have a balance between the sound and the image. And, and if, this, if there's lots going on with the sound, then the image can be really simple and you don't want to over, overwhelm your audience by giving them like loads of sound and then loads of visuals. Because like, I mean, even people with Eiffel of Sound, if you've got synesthesia and you watch that film, people have said they can't watch it. They find it too, it's too much stimulation. It's too, mm. too much stuff going on there. And there's a point in the film where there's supposed to be too much stuff going on. It's like, it's all piling in towards the end. It kind of comes to a crescendo. And then one of the interviewees says, oh, that's enough. You know, I just, I like quiet. You know, I just like yeah. better to be quiet because you can see why, because it's like living inside a person's brain who's got synesthesia. It must be a lot to deal with. You know, it's, it's a lot of stimulation. Uh, um, I'm going to look at my I'll just remind anyone who's watching that you feel free to ask some questions I will have a look in the comments uh, let's see I'm just going through mine oh, sorry my handwriting is everything <laughs> my head is not where it should be today um, so we, we've, I think we sort of covered these a, a little bit towards the start so you said that you did find art and then moved into animation what was this, what sort of drew you to animation um, um, I think it was just to be brutally honest, I mean, it was a long time ago that I did my degree, but I, so I went to art school and the painting department was full of these kind of very sexist men. <laughs> just like, it was a real boys club and I just felt really alienated from it. And I didn't feel like, I didn't really feel like there was a space for me there and I didn't really enjoy it. And I'd gone there wanting to be a painter. And then like, I don't know, I just didn't really kind of vibe with it at all. I, just wasn't my wasn't my thing so I ended up moving more towards photography and going and working with the lens based people and I was a really amazing degree course I mean it doesn't exist anymore but it was a really it was very academic English and very practical art um and um yeah so I just kind of I got into cameras and then someone said to me why don't you put your paintings under the camera and I was an oil painter so I thought oh, that would be cool you know I could do oil paint on glass and I saw Caroline Leaf who's like a sort of well-known she's American but she worked a lot for the National Film Board of Canada and she taught in the UK for a really long time at the National Film School National Film and Television School and she's like my kind of hero and I saw her film The Street which is such a beautiful film and she also had made films like the owl who married a goose 
which was made with like a handful of sand on a light table. And I watched those films and it was so simple, but they were all the materials that I was used to working with, like paint or sand or, you know, pastels or whatever. And I just thought I could do that. So I so I, I did exactly that. I put a painting under the camera and on top of a light box on a sheet of glass and I started moving it. And, you know, oil paint takes ages to dry. Mm. So you can manipulate it and it'll stay wet for hours sometimes days actually like depending on the color and if you just lubricate it with linseed oil then it will stay wet and so you can kind of move it around and you get this amazing flowing style so my very first commission was channel 4 when I was like 24 I got a commission to make a film for channel 4 tv on 35 mil film and it was all on glass um which you've never seen because it's never been online oh. i will never show it it's hideous um oh. it, was, it was just terrific i would never show it to anybody i think there are some stills online but i'm never showing that film yeah called glasgow kiss which was a real learning curve it was really cool i kind of wish i feel like i squandered the opportunity to be honest because i was an idiot um and just young i didn't realize i didn't realize opportunities like that wouldn't come along every day i was like yeah sure i'm gonna do this and then the next film was really hard you know getting money for the next film was really hard so and it was like i don't know like five years before i got an opportunity to make another film so yeah it's tricky <laughs> that's good advice to yeah uh, not oh well this is not squander but i think i'm sure it didn't yeah <laughs> um i was gonna say what um something that you brought up there which leads me to a question uh further down the list is um have you uh i know that some of the animation club uh, a lot the majority of the animation club actually uh female and i know that they like asking these questions is uh, have you had any hurdles to deal with or discrimination mm-hmm. in the past with getting to where you are now um yes i have i think there's kind of two types of discrimination there's one type is overt and one is covert and the over one is easy to recognize because if someone makes a sexist comment you can recognize oh you being an idiot I will ignore you or I will challenge you or I will you know make a decision but when you kind of get the covert ones that can be more difficult and I think easy to say but hard to do is like developing confidence that you kind of don't mind and I actually think as an artist whatever gender you are learning how to have faith in your work is really important and and part of that is learning to accept criticism from other people especially if it's constructive but if you disagree with it then don't worry about it you know <laughs> like you can have people like when I made an eyeful of sound I remember like a friend of mine an animator in Berlin who was sort of saying oh yeah it's really good she'd seen like an early edit she was like oh, it's really good but I think you should have like a character explaining what it is in the background I think you should have someone on like a little animated character explaining what synesthesia mm. is I was like oh wow okay thanks thanks for that feedback that's really helpful but there's no, like I didn't say yeah. it's hurt but like no way get stuffed you know that's <laughs> just not gonna happen it's not what I'm going for at all I think the other thing is that I'm kind of like I'm like 51 so you know it, it, I'm really old and things that have happened to me well no no it's fine I mean it just it is what it is but so things that have happened to me when I was younger maybe wouldn't happen to a current generation and I really hope they wouldn't mm. happen or I really hope if they do happen that generation would tell them to do one and ignore it but I so I think you know it was like in the 90s coming up in the 90s it was kind of people felt the people felt the right to say awful things to your face mm. <laughs> that nowadays they might think them frankly I'm sure they do but they don't say them anymore so yeah you get some bs but you just ignore 
Yeah, it's good to hear that there is a bit of a change. I've I listened to a podcast which I believe is called Drawn. I think is the one I was listening to, which is an animation mm-hmm. podcast. And if anyone hasn't listened to it, there's about eleven episodes, and one of them does cover uh, sexism in animation in the animation industry. And from what you said there about people saying some shocking things to your face, I was surprised to hear what things were acceptable <laughs> and would definitely not be acceptable now. And yeah, it's... yeah, I hope so. I mean, I do. I find it kind of interesting. Yeah. I think some of the sexism has happened since I um, became a parent as well. Like, so one example of suitable for the audience things to repeat <laughs> would be, um, <laughs> would be like, so when I got pregnant, I, so I, I grew up in London and I lived in London for a really long time, but then I got married and I moved to Shropshire and I had um, a, a friend of mine who's an animation director said oh that's it and I got pregnant and he said that's it she'll never make another film like her life now is going to be living in the country and having babies and I was like I'm going to show you Um, (laughs) I would like it known that that director has never made a film since and I have made about I don't know eight so (laughs) yeah and I actually made a film about having those babies so because I made a film called Doubled Up which was about twins and multiple births and that was uh like probably the first film that I pitched as an animated documentary. And I think it's kind of useful when you're making films or pitching ideas for films, like to your tutor or to your, you know, to, to whoever, you know, if you're trying to get funding or whatever is to, um, is to kind of have an idea about where it's going to sit. You know, if you're doing something experimental or a bit different, it can be useful to have some references that you can pull in and sort of say, so, I sort of said, yeah, I'm pitching an animated documentary. And I was like, I have no idea what an animated documentary is. Like, I barely know the term. It wasn't really used at the time. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a thing. Um, and nowadays, that would be like, okay, sure, yeah. Well, we know everybody knows what that is. But at the time, nobody really did. But they were like, ah, oh, interesting. You know, because I think at the time, like, animation has undergone a shift as well. Like, it used to be that so my personal hate is people who treat animation as if it's a genre and Mm. it's not a genre it's a form but people think it is a genre and if it's a genre they think the genre is family friendly entertainment um which is obviously so wrong um and i could show them so many examples of things that are not family friendly and are barely entertaining but um you know so you can do genre work within animation but people don't do it didn't do it as much as they should have done and now you can kind of I mean I didn't used to run a class I used to teach at Wolverhampton and I ran a class on animation and genre and we'd look at different forms you know different genres every week and looking at animated horror animated you know sort of like um, animated documentary animated sort of adult um, drama you know serious drama or whatever so it's kind of useful to use those boxes to kind of you know not to not to put yourself inside because I think animation is always a bit box busting anyway but it's useful to kind of have a have an angle in your pitch that you can say oh it's it's a bit like that you know yeah how how is it um sorry I'm trying to I should write my questions out better because in my head I know what I mean and I just write the words down and um, <laughs> how uh because we've, we've talked a lot uh with a lot of different animators from different different jobs in the industry um mm-hmm. you say you do tutoring and yeah. how is that as a, well, what, what's that like and how would you get into that if, if someone was looking at that as a, as a way forward with that? I don't know. I have really mixed feelings about this because I, 
I, t I taught for a long time. Like I used to teach, the, I taught uh, Newport in South Wales um, at the at what is now University of South Wales. I've taught in Wolverhampton. I taught at Manchester Art School. And at the moment, I teach at the Royal College of Art. And I also teach at a university <coughs> in Norway. Um, so now I teach postgraduate sort of exclusively, really, which is really fun. I love it. It's so, you know, I think if you're an independent animator, then you are you have two ways of making a living and neither of them is independent animation. <laughs> so you can kind of, this is just my observation, but yeah. I see like independent animators who do commercial work. So they make adverts and they do stings and items. They work for big companies and they do commercial stuff. And then they do their an independent animation or they teach at university at art school and then they do their independent animation. And I think both of them have kind of got pros and cons as career models. But the way it's going with teaching in higher education now is that you need a PhD to do it. So if you so it's kind of it's not really like you know it's it's a it's a bit of an undertaking. I did a PhD, I've done my PhD and I loved it because it was all about how animation is used to document neuroperceptual brain states like synesthesia. I also work with people with phantom limb syndrome. I work with people with prosopagnosia, so face blindness. Um, it was really fascinating, but I was really lucky because I got to do something I was passionate about. And so I think teaching is fantastic, but there are other ways. Like you can do workshops and you can do, you know, you can teach and you can teach at BTEC level, you can teach in further education. But if you want to teach at university level, then it's changing. It's changed a lot. Like there's been a massive change, sea change in the last sort of 10 years, I would say, where it's changed to, you know, you need your academic life needs to be making a film is not enough you know which is a shame because I think there's a lot of practical knowledge that kind of goes by the wayside you know it is but it's that's what it is yeah I find that with a lot of things related to uh especially sort of the art the, with the art side of things is is there's, there's trying to push for more of an educational degree PhD mm. things when the practical side of things is probably the most important aspect of it. I know a lot of people that are uh, amazing at creating things. Um, when it comes to the academic side, it's not it's it's hard for them. But then you think, well, now they're being put down because they are feeling quite low that they can't do that, mm. but they they can do this other stuff. But no one will give them the time for. Yeah, not, it's. Um, I mean, myself, I. I was I wasn't very good the educational side of things uh, like mm. the maths English sort of side of things. Um, I was also good at creating, but then it comes to the bit where you have to do you still have to do essays and and all these things where I think um, mm. I just want to create stuff and I know I can create stuff and mm. I remember going through uh, university and college and everything feeling a bit like I, mm. I know I can do stuff but I need to do these bits as well, which is a bit um, yeah. So it's just sometimes it is a bit disheartening so it's quite yeah I think it's a bit I think yeah I think it's a shame but I do, I think two things one of them is practice-based research is really important and I think there's so um me and my friend I've got a friend called Ellie Land who's an animation director as well she teaches at Northumbria University we ran um a symposium on animation practices research so it's really like going back to practice and seeing that as the kind of academic grounding for everything 
and we and there was some fantastic projects so it's actually on vimeo it's on my vimeo profile because i uploaded all the videos but if you're interested they're all on there um there's some really cool interesting talks and i think it's kind of reclaiming animation practice and saying don't put it down like you need so much academic nous to put together a film you can still make that happen um and the other thing to say is just that there are alternatives to university you know not everybody needs to go to university i know that's kind of like culturally it, we feel like everybody it's just like become part of life now that everybody just automatically goes to university but you know news flash you don't have to and plenty of people don't and there are alternatives to training as well um so i've got a friend stuart messenger who's a really amazing animator he's like he was a supervisor on Corpse Bride and um and, and worked for oh actually I better check that but he worked for Tim Burton and he worked at Ardman um and um and he's a really incredible animator and now he runs courses at Ardman which are online stop motion courses that run for three months and you can learn how to stop motion animate and there's no essays there because it's just about learning animation and he's in charge of those and he's fantastic you know it's really good and they've got they're really successful you know people come out there and do really well so um yeah i think there are alternatives to that yeah. to that route it's not the only way it's nice that there's a lot of that kind of thing happening now i'm quite that's what i'm quite happy about working here at tape as well is is that we're trying to do that kind of thing anything, mm. anything creative we're trying to help people get the alternative route in especially with filmmaking yeah, um, try and get people. I mean, you should talk to Stuart. You should get Stuart in and get yeah. him. To I've, I've, I've written the name down. I'm gonna. Yeah. <laughs> find yeah. Him later. yeah. Uh, let me see. Oh, we've got plenty of time left. Um, I'm running out of questions. If anyone has any questions, please <laughs> in the comments because I, I. It's it's one of those things you you. Uh, it's a really. I'm having a really nice conversation. They've got some amazing advice and things in there. And then every time I look at the time, we've managed to fit so much into. So <laughs> Well, listen, I don't want to, we can always finish early. I've got tons of animation to do. So, you know. <laughs> That's all right. We'll, we'll probably finish it about quarter two if there's no questions, if yeah. that's okay. And it usually sort of wraps up by then anyway. Um, well, I have covered all of my questions. Um, have, you, have you got anything in the pipeline at the moment? As you say, you've got plenty of animation to do. Is, is it another film of your own or have you got another film that you're working on for someone yeah, so the films, so I'm making, um, at the moment, I am um, making a film for the Wellcome Trust again. So I'm working, so I did, I worked on a project a few years ago called Loop, which was working on a on a wider project called Silent Signal. Mm. And that was, there's an organisation called Animate Projects, so a really amazing animation kind of, I think they're a, they, they basically are producers and they produce animation. So they don't have funding, but they kind of put people in touch with different funding pots and they work with animation directors kind of working together to put film projects. And they, the stuff they work on is always like really amazing, really inclusive, really diverse, really interesting um, and just always a bit different. You know, it's never, it's never what you expect. And they did a project putting artists and scientists together. And I was one of the artists and I got to work with this amazing scientist called Serge Mastoyi. And at the time he was working at Imperial College London. In it, he's got a microbiology lab so I made a film with him called Loop which was about the different ways that scientists think about their science and it was a really fun project to work on like so interesting and so brain expanding and like in one you know won a prize from the journal Nature and you know it's kind of like it was really it was really cool to do and Serge really loved it because he actually said that having an animator in the lab was made them all talk in a different way like 
because I asked because like, I asked loads of questions <laughs> and I, I would never like just go and interview somebody I would always like have a meeting with them first and then I'd go in and see them we do some drawing together you know before I'd ever get recording equipment out because I think it's quite intimidating sometimes you know mm. you and I are fine with this because we do this a lot but you know for normal people being interviewed is kind of intimidating and scary so um yeah so I kind of was embedded in the lab for a while and I was just kind of mooching around and asking weird questions and he was like oh we've we've kind of we communicate so differently now because of those questions you were asking and it's kind of opened up a whole new way of thinking so let's do another film together and I was like yeah sure need some money It'd be really good <laughs> um but he kind of got it together and he because he's a welcome fellow he got a fellowship grant to make a film with me and Abigail um, Addison from uh, Animate Projects so the three of us are making this new film together called A Language of Shapes which like I've been in this position before when you've made a film and people really love making the film and then they're like can we do another one and for me as an artist I'm never interested in making the same project twice like I, I, I don't want to make a like two version of anything I just I just yeah. don't see that life is too short you know I'm just like I need to do something new let's test what we let's test our power let's see what we can do with a new project so with a new project what I pitched was I wanted to do a, a film that had no dialogue at all which is really weird for me because most of the films I do are really dialogue heavy and I wanted to make it a film that you could show anyone in the world uh, who speaks any language of any age and with any kind of educational background that if they watched it they would understand about subcellular pathogens and the microbiology that Serge does in his lab and I was like oh okay yeah sure that sounds amazing let's do that but they gave us the money and so that's what I'm doing so a language of shapes is like well I describe it as like it's a magic realist fairy tale about dysentery which is um so dysentery is like basically sickness and diarrhea you know when you get the squirt yeah. if you've kind of if you're first sometimes it's hygiene related sometimes it's you drank something a bit dodgy you know it just might be a tummy upset of some description but for most people in the west it's an it's it's you know it's unfortunate but it's and it's maybe a lost weekend mm. but it's nothing more serious than that our, our our systems work with it quite well you know and we have antibiotics and you know all the rest of it but for a lot of people in developing countries and especially very young people they can find that their bodies can't fight it and they don't have you know they don't have the drugs they don't have my you know antibiotics or whatever um, which are being overused anyway as you know on in the world so um there's thousands of people who die from Shigella, this pathogen, which gives you mm. discipline every year. And so I just I wanted to make a film about about Shigella. And so it's a film about a little girl and she's got a tummy upset and she's drinking. You know, and the other thing is, you know, you need to flush your system out. You need loads of water and you can't rehydrate if you've got no access to you know running water so she can only get, drink bottled water and she needs to go and buy some more from the shop and um, but she ends up falling into a into a into a river and she kind of goes on an adventure where she shrinks and she goes inside the cells of a fish. And so Serge um, and his lab, they they do all their science using fish as their model. So they use zebrafish as their model for experimenting with. But the fish are alive, um, but they get injected with Shigella and it's just seeing how their body kind of deals with with mm -hmm. the infection. So she goes inside a zebrafish and she goes inside a cell and we see her kind of battling. And so and that's my project. So at the moment, that's what I'm working on. Um, if we had share screen, I could show you my TV paint project with all the layers. But it basically looks a bit like a multiplane. So, you know, like multiplane yeah. 
podcast. So I'm I'm kind of referencing Lottie Reiniger, you know, the um, 1920s and 30s German animator. I love Lottie Reiniger. She's one yeah. of my heroes. Um, she's such an incredible, like, I think her work stands up so beautifully now to, you know, if you watch any of her films, I, I quite, I, I was looking, thinking about Thumbelina, you know, she made mm. film Thumbelina about the tiny little girl. And I was thinking about her and I was making, thinking about this film and she used silhouette animations and cutouts and just the way she kind of divided her, the screen and the way she kind of, she doesn't use the, the screen we're used to, the one you're seeing us in mm. now, but she kind of, she used, she cuts the corners and she makes us, she gives us kind of viewpoints into these different worlds and I wanted to use all of that. So, um, yeah, so you can see behind me these like white things with circles yep. in them. They're loads of models that I've made of the kind of like, so it's like, it's partly inside the cell, but it's also when they do their experiments, they have these, um, they have these trays for the experiments. They've got mm. loads of, 96 circles so I'm kind of doing each one of those circles as like a cell it's like you're going into a different cell yeah so it's a bit kind of you know it's just who knows what's going to happen I don't know if it's going to be okay I really hope it's all right but it will be coming out it'll be coming out soon so it has to be finished by the summer so yeah. it sounds amazing I'm just thinking when you said about to shrinking down, I'm also thinking of uh, Dot, the world's smallest animation. Yeah, environment. yeah, I love that. Yeah. So is it? So as as you say, you've got things made there. Is it silhouetted animation like Lottie's, or is it sort of a bit of mix? It's a combination. So yeah, there's a little actually on my Instagram. There's a little I put a GIF of it on my Instagram. Mm. So which is Sam Moore Animate. But if you have a look, there's one. I just did one shot, and I was like, oh, this is it. I'm finally. You know, when you're making a film, and you're just like, oh. Yeah. I've, going wrong and nothing's working and it's all in your head and you can't get it out and I was just like oh finally I've got the shot that kind of is starting to come together so like it's a lot of silhouettes colors very limited so I always like to work with a really limited color palette yeah. and the character of the little girl she's called Emmy she she's wearing a black and white stripy dress and she's very sort of monochromatic she's not quite she's silhouetted in quite a few shots not every one but she's very simple and very kind of like almost like iconic. You know, she's not really she's she's an every girl. You know, she's just this kind of Alice in Wonderland kind of creature who's just, our, you know, our narrative device for taking us into all these different places. So, yeah, it definitely it's using that kind of that silhouette vibe to kind of bring in the magical fairy tale aspect of it. That's my plan. I mean, you know, you watch it and you're like, no, she didn't do it. <laughs> oh, no, it's, it sounds fantastic. And it's it's really nice to hear how, how your thought process for things because just, like I say, everything is so different. And it's uh, mm. it, and I, I feel the same in the sense of uh, once I've done a project, sometimes you get the people saying, don't, don't you, like with art projects and things, you're like, oh, you can make loads of those or you can do lots of that and, and things like no, because I enjoyed doing that one. I'll get bored otherwise and then not like it anymore. So it's that kind of yeah. thing. And it is also the difference between an artisan, like an artist and an artisan, you know, like yeah. they're both really noble professions. But as an artist, your job is keep questioning, keep curious, keep changing. Mm. You know, like if you're an artisan, you make something and you do it to perfection and you do, you know, and your your the joy is in you can make this thing yeah. with incredible craft skills. But you know that's not an artist and and they're different they're subtly different but they're different yeah, yeah. People, most people don't really understand that so it's fair enough. No, like, i understand it mm. yeah fantastic uh, yeah i was gonna we can wrap it up i don't think there's any 
questions. Uh, if, if, last chance for any questions. Uh, we've got quite a few people watching, but... Um, oh, just intimidating them all into silence. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, um, we can wrap it up if, if you've got things to, to do. Um, I'm easy, I'm easy, Sam. I'm at your disposal, so if you want to... Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm sure we can uh, we can speak again in future as well, and yeah, hopefully maybe after you've released your film as well, so we can talk about that. Yeah, happy to, absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, well, we'll do that then, uh, because um, everyone's gone quiet. So, <laughs> <laughs> but thank you very much for your time and for speaking to us, and it's been yeah, it's been wonderful. Um, Thanks for asking me. Appreciate no it. No problem. Yeah. Um, and I will see everybody else on. Thursday, I think I'll be back here on Thursday doing a, a live stream, uh, not a Q&A this time, but a live stream. And then our next, one of our next guests hopefully will be uh, Joanna Quinn. Um, she has uh, she has said yes, but she's quite busy at the moment. So we're sort of waiting for all the um, excitement about um, affairs of the art to die down enough for her to talk about it. <laughs> oh, she'll be amazing. She's great. She'll be yeah. really fun. Yeah. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I will see everyone on Thursday and thank you again, Samantha. Bye. See ya. Bye. Thank you for listening to this Q&A podcast. We would like to thank Samantha Moore for speaking to us and the Animation Club for their hard work. We hope that you enjoyed listening to this podcast. Goodbye.